You know, as I've been reading the news over these last weeks, it has struck me that a lot of it could be read through the prism of the meaning and limits of freedom. In certain respects, I think this conversation is behind Britain's surprising decision to leave the European Union. And it's behind the raucous debate here about immigration and the demonization of Muslim Americans. It's certainly behind all of our issues with airport screening and the ubiquitous security cameras that are everywhere in our city now. It's behind background checks for guns and terror watch lists. This freedom question involves balancing the values of security and privacy from one vantage point. Do we want to go down the path of increasing governmental intrusion in private matters, as in where, when, and how we travel, or endure the constant scrutiny of our physical location, our financial transactions, and personal communications and associations? Do we want to close our borders, send so-called illegals home, prevent whole classes of people from entering our country? And this question then, how much privacy are we willing to relinquish for how much security? Digital positioning satellites can find us anywhere so long as our phone is on our person. That's how we get directions in real time to any desired location. I, for one, love that piece of technology. Parents can track kids now. Some of us routinely post our current location. Some of you may have posted on Facebook that you are here at Christ Church today. If you haven't, I suggest you do it. <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. Statistically, we know that people under the age of 30 have far less so-called or seeming hang-ups about privacy. They already know it's a dinosaur concept. These trends are new variations on our struggle for and with freedom. Many of the most complex political and societal issues entail some aspect of this struggle. You know, think about things like uh, abortion or affirmative action, taxation, gun control, government regulation, environmental concerns, gay marriage. The list of public issues involving the bounds of freedom within our democracy is nearly endless. And this is made much more complicated by our popular culture that generally conceives of freedom, I think, the way a child does, as the right to act without limit, the state of being free from any constraint, accountable only to oneself with minimal outside coercive pressure. Much of the time it seems the modeling we receive reflects an adolescent perspective, Adolescence is that borderline time between carefree childhood and responsible adulthood. Actually, a lot has been written recently about how 
males in today's culture are being modeled in contemporary cinema. Adolescent, in other words. Funny, but adolescent. And you, of course, know the enduring slogan for Las Vegas, right? What is it? Say it out loud. That's right. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that. That's been around for at least a decade. It's funny that we all know it, right? It's an adolescent appeal to a freedom from mentality. The clear implication is that you can do pretty much whatever you want in Vegas. Of course, the irony is that you can do pretty much whatever you want here as well, or anywhere in the land for that matter. And given our privacy invasion, everyone can know about it too, as many politicians have discovered. But as you well know from your experience, once it sinks in that we really are free from most restraints, we have the problem of choosing what we will do. And every time we exercise a choice, for the time being, we eliminate other possibilities. So the question really then becomes less about what we are free from and more about what we are free for. Think about this for a minute. Consider the talented young person choosing a life path, arriving at the point where life appears to be just one gigantic smorgasbord of options. You know, lawyer or singer or doctor or banker or techie or actor, teacher, world traveler. And then a choice is made. In choosing to become, say, a teacher, is a young woman suddenly less free? It, now, if she's alert, she'll realize that freedom, freedom has led her to a place of choice. Without the choosing, freedom would have little meaning. And if she's psychologically robust, she'll realize that no choice is ever the last choice. In fact, if she remains a teacher and wishes to achieve a level of excellence at her craft, she will need to choose teaching constantly. The choosing is never finished. Or consider committed relationship. When we reach the so-called age of consent, we are free from officially sanctioned restraints concerning when, where, and with whom we'll have sex. If we choose a permanent partner then, do we become less free? Now, our popular culture would likely suggest, yes, you are less free. And that state, of, that state is not quite as good as the other. But the fully alert adult understands that only by freely choosing the path of commitment and fidelity can mature human capacities evolve and blossom. Much the way a tree can only grow by putting down roots. This means that the tree is going to be in this place 
and not that place. And to that extent, the tree is no longer free. Were the tree to wander forever looking for some mystically perfect location or revel in never landing anywhere, it would never grow into its true nature. And the deeper it sinks an anchoring root system, the stronger, more vital tree it becomes. The only way to become good at anything is to choose for something which releases, we could say, frees up our innate potential. So, Paul wrote to his friends in Galatia, For freedom Christ has set us free. The context for this proclamation pertained to blending the Gentiles and Jews together into a single family and determining just which rules and laws would guide their lives together. Most of the Jewish rules no longer seemed relevant, according to Paul, for instance. And this tension then provides occasion for Paul to point to the most essential matters and then state the ultimate point of our freedom, namely to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what he wrote, right? You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Boom, boom. That is really clear. How does that hit you? (laughs) And how does it square with the way you're going about living your life? We are made free in Christ to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's Christian teaching stripped right down to the essential minimum. That's the point of the freedom we experience through faith. That's the point of it. This means that if in our freedom we choose to love, we will grow into what God intended in the first place, much like the healthy tree with its roots planted firmly and deeply in rich soil, standing firm, as it were, in freedom (laughs) to become what we were meant to become. Friends, this Christian thing is really remarkably simple. Now, we have, wow, have we made it complicated. And wow, have we overlaid it with a whole bunch of stuff. We've done in reverse what Paul did in his day. Now, that isn't to say it's easy. We make it terribly complicated, and I don't deny there are many, many confusing, complicated matters with which we must contend. We have named some of them earlier. Matters of grave consequence. But if we were searching for a sort of summary organizing principle for the living of our days, for focusing our lives, for directing our energies, for deploying our human freedom to useful ends, Paul states it clearly. Christ sets us free to love. You know, if someone were to ask you why you were tinkering with Christianity, 
what was the point of all the religious mumbo-jumbo or why you wasted a great Sunday morning going to church? Here is a solid answer. I go to learn how to love. And I'm betting you don't have another place like that in your life. You get that at work? You learn how to love at work? The quiet, subdued laughter tells the tale. That's what we celebrate here. We're learning how to love. That's what I'm learning and practicing. In my freedom, that's what I've chosen as my focusing principle. And I've chosen to throw in with others for whom that same principle animates their lives. And you know what? This provides a far, far more profound experience of human community than what is normally served up in our cultures of work and play. Oh, my. Here's a wonderful centering prayer, a daily prayer, something to stick on your computer screen, a prayer that will take you the distance, oddly enough, just a few words. God set me free to love. God set me free to love. Now, unfortunately, the church has had a very checkered history living this extravagant love. Sometimes it even seems to have turned freedom's gift into its opposite, using it as yet one more way of condemning our neighbor, excluding our neighbor, or as Paul said it, biting, devouring, and consuming our neighbor. Humans are more naturally addicted to tribalism and exclusion, finding all sorts of reasons not to love others, not to include them. This is why Jesus devoted his short life and ministry to advancing this agenda. And as you well know, he was ultimately excluded from human community himself, lifted high on a cross in a kind of sacred irony, condemned to die for the very love he embodied. He knew this love ran counter to the world's grain. That's why he insisted his disciples understand the stakes as they were making their way to Jerusalem. You heard about that in the gospel text, those strident-sounding demands about followership. Following this path required commitment and resolve because the world did not understand the sort of love he was advancing, precisely because the world was against it. His kind of love rocked the temporal and political arrangements. It still does. (laughs) This love was no hallmark card sentiment. It was seismic, ultimately upending the flow of history itself. You know, this is the sort of love Christ sets us free to embrace and embody, friends. It is radical. It is demanding. It is liberating. It is astonishing. It is the most fantastic, animating power there is. It shares the very same substance as life itself, and we can find no greater purpose 
than to align ourselves with its graceful intentions. And you know, I say to myself, thank God we have each other. Thank God we have each other. We all know this runs against the tide of the generational moment. We feel it in our bones. We might even feel it with inside of ourselves. Half the time, you know, it runs against the tide of my own inner being. I confess that to you. Sometimes. That's why I hold up, hold it up in front of me so often. We need each other as we rely on the Spirit to instill within us the gifts, as Paul enumerated them, the gifts of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. I tell you, if we hang in with one another, prodding one another, nurturing, cajoling one another to learn how to love, there is no question that we greatly, greatly increase our chances of growing into the sturdy oaks of faith with deep roots sunk in freedom soil.